0: Times, in fact, I would say most times the people who uh, are struggling with these disorders can be their worst enemy because they give up too quickly. If the medication doesn't work in the first two or three weeks, screw it. I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, If they get better for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. They go, I don't need a medication anymore, and they throw it away. Uh, some of them say, I'm not going to a therapist. I I'm not there's nobody who can help me. So they don't go to a therapist. So, in many instances, people can start to be their worst enemy.
1: Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university but we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lizbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Hi Persisters and Brothers, it's Lizbeth and I just literally stepped into my house. I'm so hoping you're not watching this on YouTube. Just stepped into the house just in time for this wonderful interview with Steve Wilson. I drove from 5.30 a.m. till just this moment. So five hours, basically, because I get lost a lot, to make it on time. And I made it just under the wire. So just know, sorry about the appearance if you're on YouTube, but I'm so excited to have Steve because... He's going to talk about his book, Teetering, and his journey through bipolar disorder. And it's so important that we get comfortable talking about mental health. I like to say, you know, yes, my family is greatly impacted by mental health disorders and all of the dysfunction that can come with it, and many of the many great things that can also sometimes accompany a serious mental illness. But I think it's only in the last 10 years that we've really started talking about it openly with other people outside our little bitty uh, unit. And so I love when someone like Steve comes on and is brave enough to call it out and talk about it because we're all impacted by mental health. It's May Mental Health Awareness Month, but that should be every month, really. Honestly, we should all wherever, whatever country you're listening in. From We need to have more conversations and normalize what it is to struggle with mental health. So thankful about that. I have a little chapter devoted to uh, how it hit my family and, you know, all of the different interventions it took to get us back on our feet again and Grounded in Grit, uh forthcoming book. So anyhow... Join me on Patreon because in a co- the next week or so, I'm going to list the date. You can always find me at lameredith.com to get those invites. But we're going to start the process of writing your own story. You know, I've written mine in many, many different times, only a couple of times in book form. But everyone has a story to share. But how do you get started in a way to keep you moving forward? So that will be the next give that patrons get. Thanks so much for Jennifer, for Gary, for I'm going to check on my Patreon list today and see who else, but that you're listening is such a great thing. So thank you for being a supporter in that way with your time. You matter to me. Let's invite Steve in. I'm going to pause this for just a second. I am so excited to have you here, Steve Wilson from Arizona. Thank you for being on Persistence You this morning.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: And I gave a tiny introduction, but I, I talked about how brave it is for any of us to come out and talk about mental health. But before we get to in the woods, tell us a little bit about yourself and when you knew that there was a struggle uh, in your life that needed to be addressed?
0: Well, um, about myself, I'm 74 years old. Yep. I've been married for 50 years. Excellent. Three daughters, two granddaughters. Uh, I retired in 2019 from the custom clothing business. And I got, um, uh, when when my journey with uh, mental illness began was, I think, mm-hmm. when I was nine years old and I was sexually assaulted by someone I have no idea who it was, what he looks like, and I, I also think one thing it was good I don't know what it looked like because right. I think of him all the time. Right. So, so that helps. But that was when I was in fourth grade. And then later that year, uh, I had my first depressive episode.
1: At nine. Yeah. Okay.
0: Nine. And it went all through elementary school. Now, you got to realize that bipolar goes up and down. It People think that when you're mentally ill, you're mentally ill all the time. Right. Well, that is not the case. It's like a roller coaster ride. And so I survived um, all through high school and college, but I had several episodes that nobody knew I was going through. Uh, When I was sexually assaulted, I decided never to tell anybody. Okay. No, this is 1958. So I just bared with it. And my parents didn't have a clue. Um, so I learned to live with it as best I could. It's like being in a deep hole with no way out. Um, several people over the years, after I kind of let everybody know what I was going through, uh, asked me, uh, what it feels like to be at the bottom. Well, I don't care how I told them. They don't understand it. They have no idea what I mean. When I told them I was about ready to kill myself, mm-hmm. uh, they said, "Well, wh- what's that feel like? You know, How the hell am I supposed to tell them what it feels like that they can understand?" So it's but
1: very it, isolating, I'm sure, very lonely because yeah,
0: having lonely. Okay. Very lucky I was. Uh, had a lot of friends and uh, did very well in school until. The one of the worst episodes hit me in ninth grade. And then I fell apart. Again, no one could tell. It was all on my inside. And when I got out of college, it was my worst time. Uh, I had to be institutionalized for three weeks. And in 72, they diagnosed me as clinical, clinically depressed. And none of the medication which wasn't much they had back then uh, worked and i continued to be as bad as always and then in 78 the psychiatrist said he made a mistake and i was bipolar and he gave me lithium and that started me on my way to recovery excellent
1: Good. I mean, it's amazing. He admitted that, but I think that that's just a very typical foray into getting that diagnosis is, Hey, you know, you, you go to the doctor when you're feeling horrible, not during the high times during manic depressive illness or bipolar disorder. So you go, when you feel you're worse and they slap some drugs on you and those can make it worse, your symptoms worse because right. they don't have the full diagnosis. So that's, that's pretty amazing that you worked with someone who said, oops, you know, but here's the right thing. So how did lithium change your life in a way?
0: Well, it was almost instantaneous, which is uh, unknown for most people. Okay. It just, I would say if you want to put in the percentages, it got made 50% back to being whatever anybody calls normal. Okay. And so that was a relief. That was the best 50% to help. And then in... That was 1978. In the year 2000, I had a new psychiatrist, and I was complaining to him about all the ruminations I had, all the things going on in my mind that I couldn't get rid of, and they bothered me day in, day out. Okay. So he gave me Paxil, and that went away. So from 2000 till today, I've been in pretty good shape.
1: Excellent. So do you take both then? Are you taking both?
0: Yes, okay. oh, no, because in, uh, in about 1995, he discovered that lithium had uh, almost ruined my kidneys. Oh, OK. And uh, in. 2021, I had a kidney transplant. So there's some problems with the medication. Sure. Cause a lot of side effects. But as the one who is dealing with it you have to make a decision which is better doing it now and having a good life and forgetting about worrying about your whatever your uh side effect is and let that happen in the future and be as good as you can be until then so that's what mm-hmm. i decided to do
1: those are tough choices but it's a very good point you know you Yes. You wouldn't be taking a medication if the benefits, ideally, didn't outweigh the risks. Yes. But that's there's still always risks.
0: For sure. I had another bad reaction to one of the medications. Uh, one of the first medications they put me on was Navane. It was an antipsychotic in the 70s. Hmm. And it was directly related to giving me tardive dyskinesia.
1: Oh, dear. Which is like those involuntary movements that don't ever go away.
0: Is that correct? My eyelids, of all places. And it is just a horrible feeling when my eyelids would go constantly out of control. Um, But at the same time, this was 1989... They developed Botox, and my uh, ophthalmologist was my cousin, and he recognized it and said, we're going to give you Botox, but you got to sign this. And it said, if this leads to death, it's not their fault. Wow. So I took the Botox, 10 shots around my eyes every three months, and it cured that.
1: That's fantastic. And you look 25. So there you are. (laughs) Yeah. Can you give people an idea of what it's like with, with the highs and lows as you're living family life or working a job or something? Sure. You know, for some people, it becomes spending some people drinking some people, you know, I mean, what, what was it like? Did you start to learn your signs of when a high or a low period was coming on mania or depressive
0: period? No. And, and here's a here's a good segue for the the two real kinds of uh, the, the, the disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, first is bipolar two, which is mainly a terribly low depression going when you feel good. For whatever stretch that may be, you're up a little bit above the norm of feeling good. But then, if you're bipolar one, when you're out of the depressive state, you go into a massive mania where you can spend all your goods, everything you have, ruin your family life. You come back down and your life is destroyed. I never experienced any of the mania. Good. Good. Now, what my life was like was. If I had got out of the depressive state, um, would go into that normal zone. The depression was quite low and I just didn't think anybody loved me. I thought my life was over. I wanted to die. I thought there was nothing that anybody cared about what I did. It's horrible. Then you go up into this little zone for a couple of months or a week or a year or whatever it might be, and you kind of get impulsive. Like one day, my wife was buying a car, and I was sitting with her, and I looked over and I saw another car and I, another car sitting there for sale, and I said, "I'll take that one too." So, oh, you can get kind of manic, but just stupid right um so um uh, the depression is for me was so damn severe that uh one time I was uh this was in my early 20s I was swimming I'm, I've been a swimmer all my life and I was swimming laps at our pool not our pool but the the pool at the the county pool, and every show, I would say, kill yourself, kill yourself. Kill you. And it was somebody outside my mind. Oh, my. i like me to do that. No, I never tried suicide. Good. But it wasn't far from it.
1: What did it take for you to really embrace not just medical, you know, pharmacological therapies, but the whole recovery, because I know that you're you turned into somebody who really believes in peer support and all kinds of different ways to embrace wellness. Like, how did that journey start?
0: The journey started because uh, my mother finally recognized when I was right out of college that something was wrong. Right. got a psychiatrist. Um, and I said, sure. I'll go to therapy, but unlike okay. a lot of people. And I took whatever medication they gave me. And wow. that's how my recovery started. But I don't want anybody to think it was instantaneous relief. Right. Started in 58. I got better in 2000. That's 42 years I battled that.
1: Of a struggle.
0: It's a hell of a long journey. Uh, And one thing about the medication, it only helps 50% of the patients. Uh, There is no cure for bipolar. So for the 50% of those who get help by medication, that's great. But unfortunately, there's another 50% that have this disorder who get no relief from medication. In fact, many times they're made worse. So they have to go a different route. And many of them struggle with just deciding what to do. Some them just say, screw it, I'm just gonna live with it. And they never get better. And some of them takes a long time. Well, first of all, just because you've got a therapist, doesn't mean that therapist is going to cure your life. You have to find the right therapist that works with you uh, and know this, they're not perfect. They'll make mistakes like my doctor did. Um, There are tools, we call them, out there that can help people who, one, don't get any medication relief or two don't get enough medication relief or haven't found the right cocktail which is a mix of medications i take four okay for a long time um and they can do things such as cbt cognitive behavioral therapy dbt delective behavioral therapy uh, Impatient. well, impatient, no, 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 no. Um, but it doesn't make a difference, I can't, can't think of that one, EMDR, which is the eye movement, hey. and then for those who just want to do simple things, there's tapping, there's spinners, these little things you hold in your hand and you constantly spin them to relieve the anxiety. And then there's a rubber band on your wrist that when you're getting bad thoughts, you snap that thing on your wrist. So, as unbelievable as it sounds, these things help. Now, I never had to use them, but I uh, found out about them because I became a facilitator of two mental health support groups here in Phoenix. And uh, it has been a real eye opener to see what people go through and what helps, and unfortunately, what doesn't help. And I'll tell you this, in my observation, a high percentage of people in my groups, and I don't know if that's 20%, 50% or whatever, have been abused in some way as a child or later in life. It can be sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, but all of those things lead them to the rest of their lives having mental problems.
1: It's an interesting thing you bring up because I, when I was younger and was in college, there were thoughts that, you know, if you have bipolar disorder, it is strictly familial, it's inherited, it's this or that. And trauma is a different beast. Some people have trauma and some don't, but they were separate issues. And as education and research has, has moved forward, we find, no, 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 that doesn't mean that it's not an either or, you know, sometimes trauma, like you mentioned, is the precursor to going into an episode of a, a mental health episode. And so doesn't mean that you wouldn't have had bipolar disorder later. We will never know, but it's not uncommon for it to begin with something really horrible like a a serious trauma, like the one you went through, there was life before the assault, there was life after, and you'll never forget, you know, it doesn't mean you can't get better, but there is a, it's a serious thing that happened. And then, and then came the symptoms of illness. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's, it's interesting.
0: Well, when I'm facilitating, um, I really try to pull out from these people, especially the new ones, mm-hmm. uh, what and why, what they're suffering from and how do they think it began. And many of them will comply and tell the group what they went through. And I would say that probably helps. 20%. The rest of those, the rest of that percentage never come back to the group. Okay. So, um, times, in fact, I would say most times, the people who um, are struggling with these disorders can be their worst enemy because they give up too quickly. If the medication doesn't work in the first two or three weeks. Screw it. I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, if they get better for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, they go, I don't need a medication anymore. And they throw it away. Uh, some of them say, I'm not going to a therapist. I, I'm not. There's nobody who can help me. So they don't go to a therapist. So in many instances, people can start to be their worst enemy and they can make it so they don't realize that it's a long-term struggle and they can have some good times if they just keep persevering
1: like you said there's so that process of getting to a place of wellness can take months and years and i think one thing i noticed when i was prescribed a medication was you know instant weight gain like immediate weight gain Well, that's a real trigger for some people, including myself. But if you tell your doctor, there are probably ways to work around that and to let them know. But if you just say, I'm done, that was awful, then you're never going to know that maybe you could have taken it at a different time, a different dosage with a companion. So it is, it's really difficult. There are a lot of things that are just challenging. If nobody's asked to be bipolar, as an example, and then you have all of these other side effects you have to work through. It's hard, but it's worth it. Hard, right. but worth it. So Definitely. worth it. Um, so in your groups, are they free? Are they not, you know, do people pay? How is it? Because I love I the idea. free.
0: It's through a company called COPA.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: we have guidelines that you must follow.
1: Okay.
0: You must be diagnosed. You can't just come in and say, oh, I felt blue yesterday. Right. You gotta really need have a need to get something done about what you're going through. Um, we meet on Tuesday and Thursday, but there's generally th- that I host. There's generally in Copa about five meetings a week, maybe maybe more than that.
1: Wow. That's excellent because you'll learn things through peers, peer support that no therapist can ever help you with. You know, really, it's the survival mechanism of, hey, how did your insurance pay for this? Or how did you get help reducing the cost of that? Or you're keeping a journal. How's that worked out? Here's a therapist really good. You know, those kind of things in your own community, they're irreplaceable.
0: That's right. Very, very. Correct on that. Uh, They find out that they're not alone. That's right. That people to uh, say hi to, how you doing? I need some advice. Uh, We also meet on the regular meetings are two hours long. Then on Sunday, we have a group meeting just to say, hi, how'd your week go? That's for half an hour. Wow. Okay. All those things really help. Um, and they helped me too, because I learned some things from it. I didn't know anything about all of these treatments because I never took any of them. Right. But we discuss them. Um, we discuss medication, but in a way that we only discuss the name and what it's for. And then somebody will occasionally say, well, that really worked for me. Somebody will say, I didn't do a damn thing about a." For me, it made me worse, but we always preface it by saying, this will probably not be what you go through.
1: Right. Because everyone's experience is different, right? Absolutely. Well, that is so wonderful that you've been involved in that. If people don't have COPA next to them, their National Alliance for Mental Illness or other groups, different countries have different things. But usually it's great to be, I feel like it's wonderful to be involved in a peer support group because of that amazing sense of not being alone. Like you mentioned, that's a wellness issue in itself.
0: It is great. Uh, There is one thing I've got to bring up. The mental health system in this country is not very good. (laughs) Right. Just just be, be perfectly clear about it. Here in Arizona... For people who don't make much money, they may be uh, diagnosed SMI, which is severely mental ill. Mm -hmm. Uh, You get on access. Well, you think, okay, I'm going to get a lot of help. Well, you make up an appointment to see a psychiatrist or a therapist. You see him one time and he'll say, come back in three months. That's the earliest I can see you. Or uh, you'll come back for your therapist sometime later. And he's gone or she's gone because they moved on to something else. Um, Nice programs they've got, but there are 20% of Americans have mental illness. And that's pretty much standard across the world. 20%, well, you figure it in this country, 20% of 300 million is... 150, or whatever it is, 15, and I don't know what it is, but there's so many people who need help, and so many people who don't have insurance, and so many psychiatrists who won't accept insurance, so you walk in the door, and they go, that'll be 250 for your first uh, interview, your, your uh, signing process, mm-hmm. and then it would be $150 every time you meet me. Right. That's a lot. And that is all on the fault of the insurance companies themselves. They've made the portion that psychiatrists and psychologists get so small that they are forced to get rid of insurance and just charge the fees. So everybody who is on has low income is thrown through the cracks. That's my opinion. I've seen it out here in Arizona. Yeah, We were just declared one of the worst in the country. Wow. So, I, did not know
1: that. I did not know that. Now, can you tell, we've got about, about five, six minutes left. Can you tell I, us about how you came to the point where you wanted to write a book? Tell us a little bit about teetering.
0: Okay. It's called, the name of the book is Teetering on a Tightrope, My Bipolar Journey. And it, uh, the reason I sat down to write it, now what it is is a a uh, story about my life starting at about eight and then running through till today. Um, now, the reason this happened was because about four or five years ago, I still had some issues I had to deal with. And they had caused me a lot of anxiety For 50 years. So I went to a trauma therapist here in Scottsdale. And she actually started me on a. On the basis of starting out earliest memory. Which was about eight, six or eight. And then moving to the trauma. And then for the rest of my life. And when we wrote all this out. She says, "You know, you ought to write a book about this, because there were so many different things. There was so much fun in my life and good times, and there were so many dark times that uh, I uh, just decided to write a book. Now, I had experience when in my twenties of being a writer because I was a, I was a uh, sports reporter, and I was these."
1: Okay. Uh,
0: sports information director at a college, Ohio Wesleyan University in Ohio. So I was an okay writer. And then I wrote the book. It's in chronological order. Okay. Of my life. And the reason I wrote it, because I knew that it was going to cost me a lot of money to do it. And it has. <laughs> Not an easy process, a process right. is three years long. And I knew that because of my genre that I was in, that I wasn't going to sell a million books. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to make any money, but I did it because of the stigma around mental illness. People don't understand how bad it is. They just think, "Oh, go take a walk. You'll feel about it. You'll feel better." Um, so that's why I wrote it. And then the second reason is because I wanted those who are suffering to know that there's others out there who are just as bad. Um, The book has been out for two or three months now. I have no idea how well or how badly it's doing. It's available (laughs) on Amazon. It's so
1: exciting, though. (laughs) And I have a lot of friends who say, oh, I wish, because I had written a book, you know, well, I'm too old to write my book. And that's just not true. If we're living and we have a, short, a story to, to share and a connection to make, it is not going to make you wealthy for most of us. But on the other hand, good for you for doing it. How, can I ask how old you were when it came out?
0: 73.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. I mean, that's huge. It's not, a two or three years is nothing to write a book. In my opinion, you wrote Fast. But on the other hand, you did it for all the right reasons and congratulations on that. That's not a small thing.
0: I enjoyed writing it. And when I was done with it, oh, I wanna, I wanna uh for the people who want to write a book and you don't know where to start, right? Um you've got to write it first. Right. And then there is a company out there, if you're going to do it yourself, it doesn't mean that you have to right. do everything, but you have to get help. You have to get someone to publish it. And if you can't find, because I sent out a whole bunch of query letters right. to get some traditional printing house to do the book, no answers. And I mean, it, no answers. Right. So I had to try to do it on my own. Where do I start? How the hell do I know? So I found out about this company called ReadZ. Right. And I contacted them. And they have all kinds of services. The first thing you need is an editor. So I found an editor and I sent her my manuscript. She it said, it's written pretty well. No one's going to publish it. And this is why. And this is why. I mean, you can self-publish it, but sure. you didn't do anything. And um, I said, what should I do with it? And she told me what she thought. And because of what she told me, it's a completely different book. It is very good, reads very easy, and gets to the point. So I never would have figured that out without her. And then if you don't have the money to market it, you're out of luck because all you can do is sell the book to your friends and family. And that's just the way it is. So you've got to delve into your wallet and keep delving into your wallet. And sooner or later, you'll get it ready and you'll be on social media and you'll have a website and all that that goes with it. Um, uh, can cost you upwards of twenty thousand dollars.
1: Wow! Now there are it. just just to interject, people can do it much cheaper if they know or if they have people in their lives who know how to do certain things. But it is expensive. It is very. It can be expensive. Also, good for you for getting on podcasts because that's one of the best ways to market your book, and it doesn't cost you anything. It costs the podcaster money. So yes. that's a great. That you're doing
0: for those people out there who are writing a book and you don't have a clue how to uh to get it then the word out there that you've written this book, there is a company called Podmatch. And that's how I found you. Yep. Because if you try to do the normal way of just getting online and doing, I spent weeks just getting online and uh one or two. you might find a couple in your genre, but if you go to Podmatch and we'll go through their process of signing up, um, I've got eight more. Where's the list. I've got eight more set up for this month and for June and July, and I've already done about twelve. Good job. I keep signing up for whatever I can. Right. They are wonderful. Now I'll give you some advice too.
1: And we're running right out of time, so I need to come back to you and where we can get Thunder. a hold of you. Yep. So, uh, can you let us know, like, where do you hang out that readers and listeners can get a hold of you and learn more about your book? Tell us one more time the name and how can we connect best with you to get that information.
0: Name of the book is Teetering. On a tightrope, my Bible journey. I have a website, but it will not be ready until later this week. That's okay. You're doing
1: great. If you're getting all that together, you're doing amazing. Are you on social media a little bit?
0: Yes. And I put out uh, uh, posts on social media five a week and just doing everything I can, but where you I can,
1: think You're doing a lot.
0: If you want to reach me, uh, my email, I won't give you my phone number. Sure. My email is S W W I L S O N. Dot Wilson at Gmail.
1: Good. Okay. And I'm going to put that in show notes. And if you have the link to your future website, you know, if you have the name of the title of the domain, I'll go ahead and put that. And just with the caveat that it's not up and running yet, but honestly, you're doing a beautiful thing. If you have a book written already, you've got a website in the works you're on social media and you're doing these podcast interviews, that's how it's done. And I think
0: that's absolutely fantastic work and we'll see where it goes from here uh that's why i say in contrast to what you said about being able to do it much cheaper uh plan if you're going to do it right right plan on a minimum of 10,000 agreed that's a that's a good point you can I- pull
1: a thousand percent agree with you. I don't disagree that it can be really much more expensive. and that was my experience too. But I just want people to know that if they wanted to, there are people who will write a book and they'll just put it on Amazon or wherever and they don't get an editor and they don't format and they do all the things. I'm not saying that's a great idea. but if someone is desperate to get their words out, I just want them to know it there's a right. range of expense, but you're absolutely correct. It can it's not cheap. And even when you make money on a book, it's a fraction of what people literally think that you're making.
0: <laughs> I'll tell right. you how much I make on a book. Pardon? I'll tell you how much I make on a book. Yes, go ahead. $3. Oh, that's good though. <laughs> yeah. But look at it this way if you spend $10,000, <laughs> can $3 we not look at that way? means you have to spend. Or you have to sell 10th yes. or I forget what it is, but you can figure it out.
1: That's right. And it's just 5,000
0: for- books or something like that. <laughs> it's good
1: for people to know that, you know, there are different ways to do it. But on the other hand, if they're looking for a path to wealth, this might not be the thing. But if you're looking to impact <laughs> your world in a, and make a connection and let people know that they're not alone then what you've done is absolutely beautiful. And I'm sure you wouldn't trade the experience.
0: No, not at all. And uh, depending on how well this book does, which I should learn sometime this month, uh, how well it's doing so far, uh, I have a plan for another one. I love it. Um, But I don't know. It's just so much money.
1: Well, and see if you can learn to do it. It probably can get a little less expensive each time that since you know yeah. more. But I will say, you know, books may take a long time to take off, but it's worth continuing those podcast interviews and keep getting the good word out there. And I'm really glad you came by Persistence you today. And thank you so much for this. I'm really excited about teetering. That's fantastic.
0: Thank you, Elizabeth. I enjoyed it. And quite
1: by accident, I... Meant to debrief with you, but shut the interview down. So if you're watching on YouTube, it just ends abruptly. That was such a treat. And I will tell you my summary of my interview with Steve Wilson is that honestly, mental health struggles are, you talk about persistence for people who are dealing with mental health struggles or their family members are, you know, there's just not a straight line that there are always going to be more need than resources, okay? So people will be on wait lists. They'll be hoping for services. They'll be waiting for the creation of certain services. And I love what he did by just starting to facilitate a peer support group. If you are in, If you are someone supporting a loved one with mental health concerns... I think one of the best things you can do for yourself is not only have a therapist in your corner, but also join a peer support group like the National Alliance for Mental Illness has family peer-to-peer support, even if some of it's online. His group is similar. So just looking for that support to know best how to help the person that you love, but also to take good care of yourself because it is kind of a roller coaster. I'm excited to read his book, Teetering, and I hope you are too. Have a fabulous day. I meant to (laughs) say that I enjoyed so much time with my friends from Alaska, Jim and uh, rather Tim and Jennifer, and it was worth getting up at five in the morning and making it back barely in time to tape that uh, episode, and I hope you thought it was worthwhile as well as ever. Any... Ratings or reviews would be useful. And if you like the episode, share it with someone that you know and care about. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week.
0: Proud member of the Podnougan Network.